Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Thanks, brother, for leading us in worship, and what a joy it is to sing about Christ. One of the joys of technology is that when you're worshiping, sometimes you get texts, and I got this watch that kind of just, it throws me messages. So all I have to say, um, this is from Riker Herndon. Um, it says, good morning, Shepherd. Our little one was born late last night. Um, no name just yet, but... Just need to be mindful of them, but we rejoice with the Herndons and the joy of life and in the midst of worship to, to know that he is not only great, but sufficient to supply all of our needs in the midst of all that. So if you're watching, congratulations. Take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is going to be, of course, our landing spot for many a months to come, um, maybe the Lord will come back before we get done, but that's okay, because we're in a great book. We're in a, a book that exalts Christ and brings His truth in front of our hearts, and what a joy it is. Today's sermon title is Dismantling Legalism, Part 2. Let me read our passage for us, and we pick it up in verse 23 of Mark chapter 2. The Word of God reads this, and it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And the disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he, was, and, he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is his Lord even of the Sabbath. Let us pray. Father, we Rejoice in knowing the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are Savior, Redeemer. You make us born again. You transform us. But ultimately, the Lordship of Jesus Christ reigns supreme. Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of sinners' souls. So much so that eternity is based on either receiving or rejecting you. We ask this morning that you would teach us as we go through a narrative that 
that throws a rock at your truth, at your personhood. But yet what comes and flushes out is, is truth that, that brings your authority clear, in clear view. Spirit, help us as we go through the, through the teaching of your word and may you teach us. Be with your under-shepherd, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now last week I gave you a whole sermon. How about this? A whole introduction on legalism. Um, I think you and I both know and understand that this is a huge issue within the church. It's an issue that continues to beat back, and it's something that the church must beat back, legalism. It's an issue that, that overcomes many. And the unfortunate thing about legalism is that it puts God's truth under submission of man. If you missed last week's sermon, I encourage you to go on our YouTube page. You can, you can download that or watch that but it gives you some greater color as we exposit the Scripture here this morning. But this is what Jesus is dealing with here, and, and, and actually, in the start of chapter 3, he's dealing with the legalism of the religious leaders of the day. It came down to man's legalism versus the heart and intent of the Sabbath, or God's truth. And really, it comes down to lordship. Is Jesus Christ Lord? What do I mean by that? When it comes to living our life in Christ, it comes down to either having Jesus rightly be Lord of our, of our life, where you live according to his truth, where you obey his truth, or it comes down to you, yourself, having lordship of what you think God needs you to do and how you can help Jesus in living rightly for him. This is where you find your governing, this is where legalism is at. It, it, it governs the heart to say that Jesus' truth must submit to my convictions and my desires. And so the question the text asks our souls this morning is, who is Lord? Is it you or is it Christ? That's what's at stake this morning in our passage. Now, let's dive into this. Like you say, I gave you such a, a, a long introduction last week that I, we can dive into the text, and, and we're going to spend some time here, but this is an important issue. And what we first see is, is a, a mocking confrontation. We see this as the Pharisees, as Mark gives us in this gospel. He's given us five confrontations that Jesus encounters with the religious leaders of the day. All of this is, is bringing tension to the forefront. And the confirmation in the rock is thrown, starting in verse 23. Look again there. It reads, it says, And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, this encounter, no doubt, took place somewhere around harvest time, right? Grain is in the field. The fields were, of course, being ready to harvest, and, and so we know that this is the time period that is going on. And it's important to understand that the Pharisees weren't, weren't objecting to the act of picking grain from somebody's field. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that Jesus and his disciples were violating 
what they had determined the Sabbath day to be as far as holiness in their eyes. We know this is true in Deuteronomy 23:25, where it clearly says, when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, uh, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not weld a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. So God provide for those who are in need to leave the corners of the field for those who would come. And if they were hungry, they were able to, to eat as long as they don't take a sickle and start cutting it and, and, and making it their own. But if they were hungry, there was provision. The problem that the Pharisees were objecting to then is that the disciples were violating a law by working on the Sabbath. Remember, God had established this law, the Ten Commandments. We know this is being the fourth commandment that he gave Israel. And the reason he gave the law was so that his people can be identified with him and that the world could see that, that, that Israel was different and they had a set of laws in which to worship the, the, the living and only living God. They were given to Israel for them to be set apart from every other nation, pointing to the fact that Yahweh was their God. We see this in Exodus 20, just to remind you, look to the screen, verse 8 through 11. It gives us this law where God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Part of the Ten Commandments, part of establishing a divine worship of a nation that would, would come and, and look to God as their only focus. And just as God rested on the seventh day, the call was for his people to rest on the seventh day. What's interesting to me, according to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 14, God assigned a death penalty. You get that? To anyone who failed to observe the Sabbath day. Exodus 31, 14 says, Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, the person shall be cut off from among his people. And so they were to be a nation set apart to rest. Identified by this. Different than all the, the other nations around them. Now the question arises, in the midst of this direct law to worship Christ, or to worship God in this case, by resting on the Sabbath day, how do you define work? And this is where the Pharisees come in, right? They wrote a commentary of sorts, the Mishnah. It was something that they would gather as they studied the law. They would apply certain interpretation to what the Scriptures say. And they applied all these laws. And in particular, when it comes to the Sabbath or the Shabbat, they, they had a form of what they define work to be. Matter of fact, they had 39 categories that defined work. They were so specific on putting this idea before the people. These categories included caring, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, 
cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, I mean, combining, spinning, dying, chain. I mean, they just had this list of all these things that would determine if, if you were violating the Sabbath day. This is how they interpreted it. They believed and felt that it was their obligation to, to enforce this interpretation amongst the people. They believed and felt that it was their obligation to enforce these religious rules. And when, in essence, what happened was that when God says, listen, I want you to be set apart and take the seventh day and to worship me, to rest, to, to be a blessing, to, to contemplate all the things that God has done, the Pharisees in turn added a burden. They added, added a heap of prohibitions that, 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 that were heaped upon the people, and, and they were kind of this police Gestapo type of approach in which they kept people in line, and, and they would call people out. Now, of course, one of these prohibitions, of these 39 prohibitions, one of them was concerning to exactly what the disciples were doing, reaping. Luke's account in Luke chapter 6, verse 1, it tells us how the disciples were actually taking the grain in their hand, they were rubbing it so as to get the grain out so they can eat it. This was forbidden by the Mishnah, by the Pharisees. To grab the grain was one thing, but to reap it by rubbing it with your hands was something totally different. From their approach, the disciples were in trouble. And of course, you can see what's happening here. Jesus, in the midst of gathering his disciples, in the midst of teaching the gospel of Christ, you got this group of, of just haters kind of following him around, looking with a, a desire to catch him in something. And they think they got him. They think they got him. As a side note, legalism does that. Have you noticed that? Not only in my own approach to legalism in a, in a time where you look at life and you're looking at everybody else and you're taking notes. Legalism has the approach that you are taking a standard that you have set according to your own rules and you're applying it to everybody else. You yourself are holy. Those who are not doing what you think is holiness are guilty. It always, legalism does, it always points to the wrongs of people instead of cleaning what is right and who they are in Christ Jesus. The Pharisees aim to prove that, that Jesus and his disciples should not be followed. Why? Because they're not following the Sabbath according to what we have established. The Pharisees had turned a special day into a miserable day. A day of a burden, a day of, of late, in a sense of, of just heaping and stealing the joy from the people. And this is exactly what legalism does in your life. It makes your life, I've never met a joyful legalist, have you? I mean, it just brings and saps out all the joy. I remember one time we were over at First Christian and we were doing a vacation Bible school. And after the day, we would send the kids across the street with their leaders, and they would go and grab lunch. 
the lunch ladies would set up there, and it was a course for kids to have lunch during the summer. We got approval that we could bring these kids over and all this kind of stuff, and so we were doing that. We show up, and there was, I remember very clearly, there was three ladies, and they looked like legalists. I mean, they had the dress, and they had everything kind of wrapped tight. They saw us coming. Now, remember, these lunch lines were intended for children. And yet here these ladies were, and and I'm right behind them. I'm in the front of the line trying to keep all the kids behind us as we go through in an orderly fashion. And this lady just turns around and says, what are these kids doing here? Surely they're not going to take all the food, are they? They continue to kind of just nag, and I'm thinking to myself, Bear, hold your tongue, hold your tongue. But as you know, a bear can't hold his tongue sometimes. And so I, I expressed to them the, the, the intention of why we're here and, and the joy of sharing Christ with these kids. And all these kids just got done here in the gospel, and they're, and they're hungry. They're physically hungry. Isn't that great that we have a, a program here? That, and she goes, well, I don't think it was intended for you and those kids. And, and just that dynamic of, of just turning your nose up against what it was intended for, to feed the kids. Legalism does that. It, it, it just soils the situation in such a way that, that it saps the joy and, and misses what it means to follow Christ. She even said, one, you, know, you guys call yourself a church? <laughs> I'm thinking, holy smokes, this is, this is pretty tough. But this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Legalism steals all the joy of, of following God and following Christ. I think it's important to understand as much as we rail against legalism and making sure that we have it rightly checked within our Christianity, the other extreme is license. And I mentioned that last week, the whole idea of, of, of applying the grace of Christ that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. That's not, that's just as bad, right? And so in the process of legalism, license, there's this balance where you are pursuing Christ, desiring to, to walk in holiness, God gives us truth to obey. The Pharisees just wrapped it up and added to it. They messed it up by adding a burden to what was not the intent of the law. I remember these words from Jesus, and I encourage you to, to, to read these. No doubt you maybe you've heard these things. But when you come to understanding Jesus and what he does as far as removing the burdens from your life, he says in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That is the intent of, of Christ coming into your life, saving and redeeming, redeeming you. He will give you rest. He will take the guilt and the burdens and the sins, and, and he will cast them aside. He will impute righteousness into your soul with the ability of the Holy Spirit being brought to you at conversion. You, you have this joy and delight 
to honor him. It's pretty interesting, this rock that is thrown. They observed what they were doing. No doubt the disciples were hungry, right? What do you do when you're hungry? You go to the cupboard. Here they went to the grain field. And they found some grain. They found some grain. I think it's important before we move on to consider a few things. Just observing the text. I think one of the takeaways when we look at these verses, when they throw this rock, when we understand legalism, the first is that the Pharisees were so blinded by their self-righteousness. And legalism does that. It blinds you. Blinded by their self-righteousness that they believed that their own words and their own rules were on the same level with the Word of God. And that's so dangerous to think that your convictions can be on the same level of inspiration that you make it a law that somewhere in the Scriptures you know it's there and so you apply it to other people's lives. I think there's a lesson for us here when we think about this. I think the lesson is this. Be careful how you construct your convictions and your preference. It's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with convictions. But don't make your convictions to be inspiration. God's righteousness makes the Christian restful according to the truth. Self-righteousness and legalism will make us restless. Don't put it on equal footing. I think there's a second thing to consider, and that is the danger of being over-righteous. That sounds kind of odd, doesn't it, coming from the pulpit? But here's the case. In point, I think of Ecclesiastes, when we studied that, chapter 7, verse 16 says, Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself, was the wisdom from Solomon there. It's just interesting to me. The Pharisees were really concerned about their externals, about this form of righteousness, but they missed the intention of the heart. They were more concerned about guarding their religious position, their power, and their influence. And Jesus was just, I mean, he was wrecking havoc of all that they brought before the people. They had the people in submission to what they wanted the people to do. And Jesus was bringing truth that threatened their position. I think it's important to understand that we are mindful of our condemning spirit and our condemning eye when it comes to legalism, when it comes to approaching the Word of God. doesn't mean that you come alongside, but, but be biblical. When you come along somebody, be biblical when it comes to helping people see what it means to live for Christ. I think there's a third lesson here before we move on. And that is what Jesus is going to kind of get to. Too often we can take the laws of God and we can add, for lack of better words, barnacles to, 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 of legalism to it. And we make it heavy, we make it weighty, we make it so it's so uncomfortable. God's never desired that to be. You think about the, the Ten Commandments, it was all about worshiping God and Him alone. 
with delight and with desire. And yet, in defining some of these things, adding legalism to it and defining what they think is right and good. I mean, can you imagine the, the table and the discussion of the rabbis discussing how they're going to define work instead of going to the scriptures and looking at those things? They had determined what that was. God intended the Sabbath to be a delightful thing, a delightful practice. Make sure that we're not adding to it and stripping the joy of what it's intended for. Back to our text, Jesus responds, right? And this is the joy of our Lord. He corrects the false legalistic approach that the Pharisees were bringing. Look at verse 25. He says, and he said to them, have you never read? And this is, this is so remarkable. I mean, he's asking the Pharisees who's established what the law is, have you ever read? Of course they've read, right? Of course they read these things. And he's just going for the juggler here. He's getting there and drawing their attention in here. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to, to those who were with him. I mean, this is an excuse. Jesus is going straight to the scriptures, and he's pointing out to the reality that what they're missing is the intent of the law, the heart of the law, instead of this legalistic approach. And so he goes after them. Of course, this incident happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1 through 6. David and his companions, and when you read that scripture, he is running from Saul. He is hungry, and he goes to the tabernacle, and he requests some food. He goes to Embelech, and which is interesting to me when you think about, well, if Embelech is the priest, why does Mark say Abathar? Well, if you notice the scripture in verse 20, 26, it's talking about the time of Abathar. The high priest actually was Amalek, right? And so here he is, and he's in the midst of all these things, and he gives them bread that was consecrated to the temple and was divinely given to the high priest and their family to eat. And every Sabbath day, they would make new bread. And they would place the old, and the old bread would go to the family. There were 12 loaves baked of fine flour, and they were set before the Lord each Sabbath on the table in the holy place. And so, the law, supposedly, that David broke is found in Leviticus chapter 24, and I can throw that up on the screen to read. It says there, then you shall take fine flour, bake 12 cakes with it, two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rolls, six to a roll, on the pure gold table before the Lord. You shall put pure frankincense in each roll, that it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to the Lord. All this was about worship, right? Every Sabbath day, he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. And then it says, it shall be for Aaron and his sons, the priesthood, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is the most holy to him, for the Lord's offering by fire, his portion forever. I mean, clearly the bread was set aside for the priests and their family. 
But absolutely, definitively, did David break the law? Why is Jesus pointing to this example? Well, let me explain a little bit. The priest would have determination of who they would give the bread to. Nowhere in the text in Leviticus it says that it's only for the priest only and that nobody else can eat it. Sounds like the garden, doesn't it? Where Eve adds to the prohibition that we can't even touch from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit there. The intention of it was just to, to again, worship and understanding these things, what is happening. And so we have to reckon with our understanding with the text at this point that although the law identified this bread for the priest and his family, it did not limit it for the priest and his family. I mean, Amalek's not going to do, in the midst of the temple, going to do something that's going to violate his very life. Violating the law when in the midst of the temple worship. I mean, these priests were, were, were so defined, they understood that it would cost them their life if they did something contrary to the holiness that God has established. I mean, he is he's bringing and doing something that was affordable within the law because the intention was worship, and yet in the midst of a need, especially when it came to a creation of life where we are the most highly created thing that God has ever created, he supplies food to him. And so Jesus was appealing to this precedent that, that you're, you're missing the point, Pharisees. He's pointing that, that the needs of humans supersedes the, the ritual observant of law. By the way, this is not the only instant in the Old Testament where there's a, a difference in the technicality of the law and it was set aside to fulfill a larger point of the intention of the law. I think about in Levit Leviticus chapter 10, uh, Nabal, let me get some water for these words. Remember Aaron's sons? They offered strange fire. Aaron neglected to, 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 to kind of follow the law here. It's interesting to me when you read that, that portion, what's going on there. Rather than bringing its blood into the holy place and then eating the meat, as was commanded by the law, Aaron and his two sons burn it in its entirety. When confronted with this violation of the rule, Aaron explained to Moses that considering the disaster of what's happening with his sons, he felt that it would be sacrilegious to follow the law in the midst of offering strange fire, of offering a wrong worship to the Lord. And the chapter ends in Leviticus 10, verse 20, and it says this, When Moses heard the explanation from Aaron, he said that it seemed good to his sight and to his ears. And so he, he, he made this provision, knowing that the intent of the law was to worship God, and in the intention of these, these priestly sons, doing it out of, out of a love for worship, Aaron understood that this, this was wrong. And he totally consumed the offering instead of spilling its blood and sharing the meat among the priesthood. And so we see these things. We see this within the scripture, and Jesus is, is pretty much bringing and shaking off the shackles of, of legalism to the Pharisees. And he's helping them understand that there's an intention for the Sabbath day, and it's about worship, instead of about 
your loss. We can't say here in the text that Jesus broke the Sabbath law, right? He didn't. Jesus was God. Jesus was perfect. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of Man. If anything, he's fulfilling the reality and pointing to his divinity that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, the creator, the one who established the laws, telling the Pharisees that he is Lord of the Sabbath. We know that Scripture says that Jesus never came to abolish. I, I read some commentaries where they're saying, well, Jesus, what he's doing here is he's getting rid of this fourth commandment in the, in the uh, Ten Commandments. So he's getting rid of it and replacing it and doing some things. And, and, and it's just interesting how they kind of do all kinds of different hermeneutical gymnastics to try to explain something here. Where we know very clearly in Matthew 5.17, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it. To fulfill it. And he fulfills it in such a way that he's perfect. Not doing anything sinful, not doing anything contrary to what has been already given. Knowing that the law was to serve the people, to drive their hearts towards worship, to be a blessing in such a way that the people would rest and that they would look towards God and rejoice in the fact that He is their King. That was the original intent of the law, to be a blessing. And what Jesus does, He comes to restore that. He comes to to kind of, like I say, kind of kick the against the Pharisees and, and knock their, their legalism to the curb and, and help the people understand what true worship is. interesting to me, like you say, those commentaries, they overthink the passage sometimes. It's good to be a rockhead sometimes because you can see the simplicity of what's happening here. Jesus was using scripture as he points to David here to highlight to these experts of the law, these Pharisees, that they may have read it wrongly. And so he answers it in such a way that drives home the point. I mean, the the intention. What's remarkable, and we read this last week, but when we get to chapter 3 next week, Lord willing, I mean, you think about what he's doing here, healing on the Sabbath day. Again, they're infuriated because it's the Sabbath day and he's doing a work. He's healing a person. I mean, how would you like to be that guy where Jesus says, oh, it's the Sabbath day, I can't heal you today. Our Lord showing his divine lordship over all things. That's exactly what each one of these confrontations were in the, in the gospel of Mark here. Every one of these things, he's eaten with the, the tax collectors. He is, he is, he's forgiving sins. He, only God can do that. All these rocks that the Pharisees threw, Jesus says, I am Lord. which drives us to the point. All of this is, is, is this narrative pointing to verse 28 where he states, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
pointing to his authority, pointing to the fact that he is king, pointing to the fact that he is God. I mean, this statement is the crux of the matter here. This is what he's driving at. Oh, you can have your laws, and you can have your books, but the point and intention of the word of God is to worship the king, and the Lord is king. I think it also points to something. Where our world has messed this church thing up, Christianity is about a relationship with the living king, right? It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about do's and don'ts. Even though those, there's, there's prohibitions in the scriptures, we do that out of delight because we love the king. We love the king. And oh, not to be a church that says, here's our list. And as you come through the door, one, two, three, and four, oh, you're missing number five. Turn around. I mean, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, able to bring forth truth. I think it also points to the reality of, of Jesus always providing for his people. He doesn't correct the disciples. Why? Because they're not violating anything. Why? Because the Sabbath was made for man. There's a, uh, an ability for him to function within it. And so here he's identified. I think there's a deeper truth in the midst of all this. When he, when he points to the fact that David, in this example of David, he knows that he is the one who came from the lineage of David, and, and he is the Messiah, and he's pointing to this lineage of, of exactly what David has done, one of their, one of their patriarchs. And yet he is greater than even David. He is the Messiah. And he's Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, what a, what a great truth. The reason I read Hebrews chapter 4 for scripture reading and the pastoral reading of our, this morning was, was understanding the writer of Hebrews brings that to great clarification that we have great rest in Christ. Now, the, the question can be, why don't we worship on the Sabbath then? Well, listen, the Sabbath is the Lord's day. And in the New Testament, every time you look at where the disciples came together and Jesus came together, they, they worshiped on the day of the resurrection and the day of the first day of the week. But even by, by limiting it to a day is missing the intention of the law, setting aside a day for worship to, to, to rejoice Oh, to be so legalistic to think that, no, it only can happen on Saturday. How foolish we are and miss the intention of the, of the text and the purpose of the law. And that is taking a time to celebrate much like we do this morning. For that matter, every day is a day of worship, isn't it, for us? I mean, we are a blessed people. And we can wake up each morning rejoicing in the king and all that he's done on accomplishing on the cross, his resurrection, his life, his truth. We worship that every day. Oh, to limit that, I mean, you want to be legalistic, you can only worship God on the Sabbath day or on the Lord's day. How foolish. And that's what the writer was bringing to mind, that there's ultimate rest in the fact of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. 
forgiving you of your sins, bringing you redemption, giving you grace. And we worship the King of grace. And no longer is it Saturday, but a Sunday where the people gather. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. On the first day of the week, he ascended on the first day of the week. No wonder the church would gather on the first day of the week instead of looking back. And I have friends who, who, who continue to look back at this and say, you know what, you are, you, you're leading your people in sin because you don't worship on Saturday. Aren't you glad that Jesus comes and he breaks the shackles of the Old Testament law and legalism? By the way, I, I call them my Eeyore friends because they are very woeful. I mean, they're so intent on looking at uh, all the things that the law has come to do. Listen, the intention of the law was to point to the fact that you're not going to be perfect and you need a Savior. And the freedom that Jesus gives, that he can tell us that his burden is light. I don't know where you're at here this morning when it comes to, to truth. When it comes to, have you established a Christianity that's, that's based on this, this tight-knit legalism? Where it's sucked out all the joy of your life? Instead of worshiping the way that God intended us to worship? Maybe you've been raised in a church that it was all about the list Oh, what shackles the list brings. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 118, verse 24, when he says, this is the day the Lord has made. What does he say? Let us rejoice. I think he was looking at this day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know if on Sunday mornings you come with a delightful heart. I'd get Saturday night, especially if you have kids. It might be a little crazy at night. But do we come and enter his gates with presence with a joy of rejoicing? Amen? Father, we do thank you for the text this morning and, and challenging what we have created. Man, we, Lord, you know us. We like a set of tight rules that that conforms us into our likeness instead of yours. Spirit, you know exactly where each heart is. Those listening, those online, you understand exactly what is, what is going on within their soul. May we worship you out of delight instead of duty. May we come with expectant joy knowing that you have eased our burdens. And boy, what a burden you've lifted. The fact that you took the wrath of God from us by dying on the cross for our sins and giving us grace and a righteousness that is not our own. Oh, we marvel at you. We worship you. We delight in you. And we thank you. May you continue to have your way within our lives as we continue to look at, at how we have, have lived and how we have built our Christianity. 
Oh, there's truth there to guide it. There's parameters, yes. There's wisdom. And there's direction. But Lord, may we never add something to the Scriptures that defeats the purpose of why you gave your law or why you gave your truth. The Pharisees, the legalists, often misses the point, the hard intention of why the law was given. May that not be us. And so we thank you for your truth and helping us and and really just kind of rattling our cages when it comes to our understanding of what it means to follow you. And so we love you and give you all the praise and the glory that you deserve for you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and Lord of the Sabbath. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.